Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. I'm actually just going to continue that rant into this recording, so... (laughs) I'm curious what everyone else's opinions on this are, because I feel like everyone's going to feel the same as me. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just... You. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot stand clickbait like that. That's like, the the title is like, oh, we broke like, up. Or and I'm then, pregnant, or we bought this, or you won't believe. I have to listen to like an hour of you just talking about nonsense before you actually get to the point of the clickbait and I just it infuriates me inside my body maybe we should stop with the clickbait then also the clickbait that's worse is when it's not even that like it's a very clickbaity title oh yeah and it has very enough, that's annoying. and it has not and that's so that was so popular I don't know anymore because I'm less on the internet but like I feel like t- 2016 2017 that yeah. was very popular with like it was like right at the height of when there was like when every MTV show had like five different series going at once and there was so much going on and it was just a very overwhelming time I think just like stop wasting my time like there was three versions of Teen Mom Oh, yeah, there was three versions of Teen Mom. Teen Mom is really, really bad for clickbait articles. and That's they, why I'm using them as the example. Yeah, they actually, um, I'm sure a lot of people know this, but you might not. If you ever see anybody from Teen Mom sharing articles like that, it's not actually them. They get paid to allow companies access to their social media accounts to share these articles. So it's not even that person sharing them. They literally yeah. got paid just to, to give somebody else off. their fucking Twitter password to share yeah. a bunch of shitty clickbait. It's so bad. And like that's why I think I respect so much people like Chelsea Huska who have moved away from the Teen Mom franchise and are like yeah. still working and posting things and like making money. She was building a career though like while on the show. She was like this show isn't going to last forever. I need a normal yeah. life still and I always appreciate that because I mean everybody I think out there can agree that Chelsea's their favorite Teen Mom. Honestly M-A-C. another person <laughs> and this can sometimes be like a controversial opinion but she that I think has done a really incredible job of breaking away from the franchise, even though she's still on the show, is Kaylin. I think everyone can agree that she is pumping out podcasts and businesses like they're going out of style. And I just feel like she has really like branded herself as her own self, even though she's still on the show. I know that a lot of people don't like her for various reasons but um yeah, I, just I mean think, she kind of annoys me but I respect her I was gonna say I don't think you can like not respect the hustle so yeah. anyway um let's... and women supporting women it doesn't matter if I like her as a person I can respect what she does right yeah exactly yeah um podcasting queen over there so I think we did you see that they use like wired handheld remikes I did see that microphones when they record yeah I thought that was odd I think I would be too fidgety I drop it. I think it's just for like the visual appeal because they do most of their recordings with video. Yeah, I guess. So maybe it's to look like a DJ. I don't really know. Um, today's episode. Hit us up, Kaylin. Let us know. My last one I did, I think I said that it was going to be a lot different than my regular episodes and then it wasn't at all. It was just like a, <laughs> like a regular case that I would tell on any other day. So Typical um, Olivia. She says she's going to zig, then she zags. 
So I did actually zig this time though, and this is very different from our regular cases that we cover because um, A, there's no murder involved today, <laughs> but I will preface this trigger warning. There is a lot of discussion of sexual assault against minors. So that's oh. um, just, you know, a... I take back my woo. A trigger warning. Um, but the other reason that this is so different is because it's so recent and this is actually more of a uh, public service announcement than it is a podcast episode. Do we have anything else to cover before we get into it? We are double recording today so you probably heard all of our chit chat on the other episode that we recorded. Yeah I think the only thing I would say is episodes like this I mean I don't know what she's about to tell us well I know what she's about to tell us but I don't know what she's about to tell us. Um these are more like our Patreon episodes, so if you like this, I would say go over there and check out those episodes, because mm-hmm. I think those are a little bit more like information-based and stuff also, like that as well. if you have friends that live in like the lower mainland area, share this with your friends, because this is literally a PSA. Like People need to know this information um, right now. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is going to be very, like honestly, in my opinion, a really important episode I'm excited in the way of, like, I agree with you on that front. Like, this seems important. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to learn some things and get some awareness. Okay. So, we're going to talk about Sean Joshua Deacon today. Um, you may have seen this name recently in the news if you are from British Columbia. However, um, if you haven't, I'm going to tell you all about it, so it's fine. I can't remove myself from our mutual track. Ooh. She cracked a rock star. I'm still drinking iced coffee, as always. It's not cold enough to do that sound. This episode stresses me out. Okay. Let's do this. March 18th, 2022. So literally within the last couple of weeks. Yep. Abbotsford Police. So Abbotsford, BC is a community in the lower mainland of British Columbia. Abbotsford Police issued a public notice advising that one of Canada's most notorious sex offenders was being released from Matskley Institution into the community. Sean Joshua Deacon is a convicted sexual pedophile, and according to court documents, his offenses follow a very predictable pattern. Um, His modus operandi is to, he basically just grooms young boys by winning their affection and their confidence, like as an older male figure, and then he sexually abuses them. Um, Sean has an incredibly lengthy criminal history, and of course, when I saw this, I had to start finding out what that was, and once I started, I couldn't stop, and then once I couldn't stop, I was like, why is this man getting let out of jail into a community so close to me but like in general why is he getting released at all like why haven't dangerous offender provisions been imposed on him i was driving through vancouver that day and i saw this on my like google news and i was like yeah so i was driving from kamloops that day this would be a really interesting discussion and uh i literally dove back into his court records from like 1988 so get ready Here we go again. Yeah. In 1988, Sean was sentenced to seven years for assaulting a five-year-old girl and three boys aged six, eight, and 13. He was awaiting sentencing for this in Kelowna, BC. And while awaiting sentencing, he abducted, abducted one of those previous victims and assaulted the child again. Oh my God. 
good. Yeah, it doesn't start good, and it certainly doesn't get better. For this, he was convicted of five counts of sexual assault and one count of abduction of a person under the age of 14. Uh, Sean was let out on statutory release in 1993. However, soon after, in 1994, he was caught assaulting an eight-year-old boy in the bathroom of a Dairy Queen, which you don't know is an ice cream parlor yeah and he was sent back to prison for violating the terms of his statutory release you don't say so i know that we have discussed statutory release on this Mm -hmm. podcast uh but for a refresher or if you're new here or to the canadian justice system statutory release is a type of release from prison in canada that automatically occurs after an offender has served two-thirds or 60% of their sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, offenders serving life or indeterminate sentences are not eligible for statutory release, and Corrections Canada can also recommend an offender be denied statutory release if they believe the person is likely to commit an offense, causing death or serious harm to another person, commit a sexual offense involving a child, or commit a serious drug offense before the end of the sentence. So essentially be a danger to the community, and they're like, "Mm, maybe not. Yeah, so I think this is his first major offense, so he was let out on statutory release. However, I feel like after this one, it's kind of unlikely that he's ever going to be offered it again, Uh, but I guess we're going to find out. So after his release for that offense in 1996, uh, Mr. Deacon was convicted of sexual interference with a five-year-old boy. He was then sent to jail for yet another two years less a day and three years of probation after. Two years? Yeah, so they're charging him what it seems like for summary offenses at this point, which is the lower level offense. Because summary offenses are always maximum two years less a day. Anything two years over is indictable, which is like the equivalent of a felony felony in Canada. Exactly. Jinx. (laughs) You owe me a go. (laughs) (laughs) So a condition of his probation at this time was that he was not to be in the presence of children under the age of 16 as well as the sentencing judge made an order pursuant to section 161 of the criminal code which prohibited him for life from engaging in certain activities involving children under the age of 14. I have a question. Okay. And yes I put my hand up because we're recording (laughs) on one mic and I tend to just like yell over Olivia. Also the constant creaking is the leather chair I'm sitting on and my Lululemon pants and it are not reacting well so it's like so I'm sorry (laughs) deal with it. Um, You may get to this so you can just like give me a look Um, but do we know preferentially that he likes like prepubescent is that why they set the age restriction at 16 with his release yeah so i actually don't go into it too much we don't know a lot about sean from like prior to this 1998 offense like i don't know much about his upbringing i know that he did leave school at the age uh he was in grade seven was the last grade that he finished in school and i do know that uh he was diagnosed with uh homosexual pedophilia and has an affinity for young boys specifically yes okay yeah okay because yeah as we've talked about we will probably get into it one day or maybe it'll be like patreon things it's heavy there are many different like tiers to being a sex offender yes it's not just you're a pedophile there's subcategories and so we'll get into that one day but yeah i was just wondering if they knew that based on even interviews with them that he was like i like x y and z blah 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 Okay. Yeah, and you'll you'll come to find out too that Sean yeah. really has no interest in 
correcting any of these sexual tendencies. Oh, like, so he's just cool with it. He doesn't see an issue. I am who I am. He doesn't want to change or or improve himself, and but then also wants to live amongst the rest of us. So that's you know. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this one. After seven months of his release on probation after this offense, Sean breached his conditions again and pleaded guilty August 4th, 1998 to two counts of assault, one count of sexual interference by touching for a sexual purpose, and one count of failing to comply with the probationary condition. These charges all involved an 11-year-old boy. Yeah. I have... I'm going to look it up myself, but... I want to know what the true definition of sexual interference is because that just seems like a really convoluted term. Sure. Okay, sexual interference involves the touching of any part of the body of a young person for a sexual purpose. Invitation to sexual touching involves inviting, counseling, or inciting a young person to touch the body of any person. Okay. That's all I wanted. It's just a weird term. It is, yes. Yeah, okay. So for this, Sean was sentenced to three years in prison plus time served, so more like four years. And during the sentencing, Sean was also labeled what's called a long-term offender, meaning that upon release from prison, he would be subject to a long-term supervision order of 10 years. So a long-term offender and a dangerous offender are different, um, but this essentially means that Upon release from prison, he would he is under a supervision order that has certain conditions for ten years, and any time that is that order, those conditions are breached, he can be subject to. I'm going to go into it, but like up to ten years in prison, and then his order restarts again when he gets released. Basically, it also gives him a larger window to randomly check him for stuff, whereas it doesn't run out after a short period of time, and you run a larger risk. Whereas with someone who's a repeat offender like this, just checking in periodically could be all you need to do Mm -hmm. if they are maintaining a pretty normal life yeah so for the like legal jargon of it the criteria (laughs) for being labeled a long-term offender by the crown is set out in section 753.1 of the criminal code and it states that a person can be labeled a long-term offender if the offense they are found guilty of is subject to sentencing of two years or more so it's an indictable offense There is a substantial risk that the offender will re-offend, and there is a reasonable possibility of eventual control of the risk in the community. So they're essentially saying that there is potentially a possibility that in 10 years' time, we could control you in the community. Yeah, we think that we could monitor you and adapt and find a plan over the next 10 years to make it a sustainable option, essentially. Yeah. And you correlate to this charge specifically because you serve over two years. Yeah. (laughs) The court can find that there is a substantial risk of reoffending if the offender has been convicted of an offense under certain sections of the criminal code, which are mostly sexually related in nature. Um, there's a whole bunch of them. I'm not going to list them all individually, but they're almost all related to like sexual assault and things of that nature. Okay. The person also has to have shown a pattern of repetitive behavior. Um, in the case of Sean, we know every single victim of his has been lured by him in the same way um growing a rapport grooming them so to speak and then sexually assaulting the minor yeah i mean that's what essentially that charge was saying is like he's not necessarily always the one doing the touching he's also coercing young people to touch him Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like you can't say he assaulted them but he coerced them to commit like a 
assault act on him essentially because that's traumatizing to them. So it's essentially just a charge to show the reverse. Yeah. While he was in prison for this offense, Sean took part in individual counseling to attempt to work through problems arising out of sexual abuse that he had suffered as a child. Okay. From everything that I've read, uh, he was never a willing participant. He had absolutely no interest in engaging in his own rehabilitation. And in June of 2000, he was suspended from the Moderate Intensity Sexual Offenders Program because of inappropriate behavior during group counseling sessions. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, buddy. Right? That's so bold. If you said he has no desire to change or improve, like, why even bother going into the program? Was it just for the attention and the chance to just be... Or was he going to just try to play the role in the hopes that it would work? And then when he got there, he was like, fuck this bullshit. Yeah, I think it was more like he had to in order to, like, Like look good for the court and to get out. Yeah. Okay. So he served this sentence in full because, obviously, it was a huge concern that if he got statutory release he would just reoffend. which honestly i think Fair. at this point it's a huge risk that if he gets any release he's gonna reoffend. oh yeah um i have no idea why we're still letting this guy, this guy out, shouldn't like, even get day parole it literally doesn't get any better like it's it's no. this is insane to me um and most of this information honestly came from court documents like i will have listed them all in the references but there's not a lot in the news shockingly enough about this guy like there is and there isn't it's kind of hard to find so almost all of this came from provincial and federal court records okay sean was released on august 3rd 2001 and because he was considered to be an untreated sexual offender with a high risk of reoffending against children while on probation again why like how do you have that title and they're even considering looking at it like as you're reading that that's why i snickered because i was like why literally in parentheses i have why is this person out Why was it even considered? Considered to be an untreated sexual offender with a high risk of reoffending against children. Oh, okay. So... I don't get it. I don't get it. The National Parole Board, for this reason, imposed special conditions to his long-term supervision order. So basically they were like, (laughs) you need higher restrictions, sir. One of these conditions prohibited contact with any child under the age of 16, and he was required to live at the Salvation Army's Harbor Light Facility in Vancouver in Vancouver, and agreed to abide by the Salvation Army's rules, which included prohibiting all visitors in his room or on the patio. So not like no children, no nobody. Okay. No, 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 no. You can't, you, you are not trusted with people in your private space. What was this place called? The Salvation Army... Harbor Light Facility. I'm just like genuinely curious where it is because I'm like shocked that anywhere in Vancouver is far enough away from children. What? This is like near Gastown. Yeah. Oh, j- just wait until you hear what happens next. Oh my God. Okay. Because yeah. when you said Vancouver and it sounded near town, I was like, there's people and kids everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. This is like right. Oh my God. Yeah. So. I'll just be over here freaking out for a while. Yeah, I've been doing that for the last however many days I've been researching and writing this. This one was really important to me because when I saw the heading that was like, Canada's most notorious sex offender gets out on release in Abbotsford, I'm like, so now I need to know. Um, And it's just, it's horrible. So... Oh my god. 
They noted, so the parole board noted that their reason for imposing these special conditions included the observation that his pattern of reoffending typically involved access to children through a relationship with their mother or guardian. So he would okay. literally like become friends with the mother or guardian of a child and then like get close to them that way. This guy is a piece of freaking work. Three weeks after his release and these conditions being imposed on him, Sean struck up a friendship with a couple and their 10-year-old grandson. So the Grandson? Three, so yeah. we can assume that these this couple is older? Yes. The three of them okay. had attended Harbor Light for their Sunday church service that week. So this place is holding church services with sex offenders living there. Sean praised the young child and offered them some of his artwork, which he said hey, that John they would Wayne need... Casey. He, they said he's like yeah you have to come see it in my room though like do you want some of my artwork you have to come to my room and see it and so they just like sent their child to the room with a known sex offender no so the the family themselves declined um but then sean invited them to come back to sunday service the next week oh. so they did and this time they did accept his invitation to come oh, so the three of them okay. the grandparents and the grandson okay. but still very prohibited yeah, so I mean, to, he's not allowed to have guests. Yeah, so while in his room, Sean asked the young boy if he had a computer and asked him for his email address. <sighs> they told I was him wondering that, where this was going to connect. Like, this is so ballsy to me. They told him that the boy didn't have a computer, and then he gave the boy a pencil box that had a wristwatch inside. So he's, like, grooming him with gifts in front of his grandparents. And, like, I guess, like, in his... And I'm not defending what his grandparents did either, but I don't think they knew, like, exactly what was going on. Even though they had all the information, I just don't think they thought it was that risky, given that they were right there. No, I don't blame but, them like, at all. And actually, I just, the, the grandparents become the heroes of the story in a minute, so we'll get there. But yeah, this, it. isn't this ballsy? Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So he then takes the three of them to the roof garden, where they were seen by an official of Harbor Light who told them they shouldn't be there. And then, according to the worker, they left the roof garden and went and attended the Sunday service that day. So they, like, went to his room before service, I guess. The next day, this is even more wild, Sean phoned the grandfather and expressed his annoyance that he had not been able to previously reach him. He was like, hey, man, I've been trying to call you, and you're not answering, and I'm annoyed about it. Okay, person I just met that's kind of a weirdo. Yeah, so the grandpa complained to Harbor Light and his complaint was... He's harassing him. Yeah, so they reported his complaint to his parole officer and also the Harbor Light employee who had seen him on the rooftop garden with the three of them, which is against the conditions of his parole. So, or the conditions of his release. Sorry, he never got parole. You're like, this isn't your personal house and these people aren't your landscapers Mm -hmm. and your cleaners and stuff. This is a facility you're staying in. Yeah, so this is his that technically is like first breach of his long term sur- long term supervision order conditions. So this is a breach under Section seven fifty three point three subsection one of the code for inviting guests to his room. He pled guilty to this this offense, and he was in pretrial custody for about fourteen months while awaiting sentencing. The crown for this it's a speedy asked, trial right there. Yeah, waited for 14 months, which, like, whatever. I don't care how long he waits. Nah. Um, The Crown asked for three to four years with time served, and the defense counsel asked for time served only. What? Yeah. 
Screw that. The Crown and the defense both brought their own witnesses, Dr. Semrau for the Crown and Dr. I want to say Nguyen. It's it's spelled N-O-O-N-E, which like to me reads no one without a space, but I think it's Dr. Noon. That's just Dr. Noonie. That's just how my brain works. Um, but he testified for the defense. Okay. When writing their decision, the judge noted that both of the doctors agreed on significant matters regarding Sean. Um, so key points were both mutually addressed. Okay. Basically, the only thing that the defense's doctor disagreed about was that he said custodial treatment was not the best course of action for Mr. Deacon. It was basically just like, he can be managed in the community. He doesn't need to be in prison. But uh, but they agreed on like basically everything else, which was that okay. he suffers from homosexual pedophilia plus a severe mixed personality disorder. They agreed his risk of reoffending is moderate to high, which I feel like is literally the understatement of the year at this point. They <laughs> more like high to high, right? Like moderate? No, he just will reoffend. Like he has a pattern so far of being in and out, and in and out, and every time he's out, he offends immediately. Yeah, it's not even like he has this like period where he's like. Oh. And Actually, the first time he waited what seven months on parole, but that's when he got caught. Yeah, who knows what he did in the meantime. Right? Like, these are all just when he gets caught. That's not to say that he's not choosing a slew of other victims. Or a group of friends. Like, the same group of boys that are like, yeah, isn't he so cool? It's a lot easier when you have, like, that herd mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, quickly, Harbor Lights Community Facility, it says here that it's equipped to take 44 clients currently. Um, including men seeking recovery from addiction and or living with mental health diagnoses and men with long-term and high-risk supervision needs. Okay. So. I'm sure there's, like, they're able, they have the resources to, like. These places are amazing. Supervise. But we're just saying. Some people aren't fit to go there. Mm -hmm. It's nothing about the facility. Yeah. It's the screening process about the people that they're putting into it thinking that they can be rehabilitated. You can't fix everybody. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. Well, Salvation Army in general is always geared towards men's programming. Yeah. Yeah. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. They offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for good food today using the code FREEPODCASTBYPROXY to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your good food account to get a classic box on us. Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. 
Um, they also agreed with the need for Sean to have individual psychotherapy, community sex offender treatment, no contact with anyone under the age of 16, and that he should continue with the anti-androgen, which was prescribed to him in prison. Anti-androgen is, like, really dramatically known as a chemical castration drug, but yeah. it basically just blocks androgens like testosterone from so you have performing. zero sex drive, zero right. sexual performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, anti-androgen is also used to treat patients with, like, prostate cancers and things oh. like that to stop, like, So normal... there's, like, no stimuli down there, so right. it just kind of halts production of everything? Yeah. I just thought that the description of chemical castration was a bit dramatic, that's all. Uh, I recently had a heated debate with someone, like, in a good way, though, like, a fun discussion as well, but he brought up the point that he feels like the world right now is currently castrating men. I just want to say, like, on a completely different note, um, if you're a man and you've never, well, obviously you've never taken female birth control if you're a man, but, like, a lot of female birth controls absolutely murder your sex drive. Mm -hmm. Most of them. I've been taking chemical castration drugs, if you want to put it that way, since I was 16. At men's encouragement. Yeah, because most of them muck with your female hormones, your hormones in general and mm-hmm. cause a lot of things other than just preventing babies. So 100%. just throw it out there. They also prevent happy moods. <laughs> they just basically <laughs> prevent happiness in general. Um, side note, I love my IUD though. So if you've ever been on the fence about getting one, I would highly yeah. recommend. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. There's no doubt about that getting it put in. But not for but long. Not for that long and it's worth the protection. And, like, I will preface that by saying that I'm somebody who's always had pretty normal like periods cycles. and yeah. cycles, and I don't have any, like, real major issues with that stuff. So I think, like, that also, yeah. if, if you have stuff, you obviously want to consult with your doctor anyways. You have to to get one. But, like, as somebody who has fairly you regular run of the mill uterus, though, you're probably good You're to probably go. safe. That's really what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. yeah. I'm just aware that, like, not everybody has such a great experience with their uterus. We've gotten really off topic. True. Um, So the sentencing judge agreed with the Crown that a program like the nine-month high-intensity sexual offender treatment program at the regional... Is it a workout? Right. Um, Well, he didn't... He got kicked out of the moderate-intensity one, so now we're like, hmm, you got to try high. Step it up. Yeah. So it's a nine-month high-intensity sexual offender treatment program at the Regional Health Center at Matsqui, which is the most intensive program available in custody. Um, The judge stated in this ruling that this could potentially reduce his likelihood to re-offend from moderate high to just moderate. Yeah. Okay. I don't agree, but okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also noted that he would need to actively want to participate in his own treatment. Um, And in order to give him the time necessary to complete this program and like the after effects of it kind of thing, the judge sentenced Sean to one year, no, two years plus, I I wrote a typo, it's two years, I know it is. Um, He sentenced him to two years plus his time already served, which made his total sentence around 45 months. Because it was like the two years plus the 14 months that he spent in pretrial sentencing. Um, Sean appeals this sentence. Oh, of course he does. Yeah, he appealed the sentence of two years plus time served, 
stating that the judge erred by imposing a sentence that falls outside of what he called the acceptable range and is aimed at facilitating treatment rather than punishing for the offense itself. So he basically attacked, like, the reason that the longer sentence was given was, like, that so that he could be treated rather than sentencing him just based on the offense. Um, and then the whole acceptable range... Do we not realize that this guy hasn't taken any steps to improve or treat himself right. so why are we allowing that to be a factor well he's saying that right like he's appealing it and, and giving that as his reasoning but so for the acceptable range thing at the time that this occurred long-term supervision orders were so new that there had actually only been like one a case few, yeah. law example of and so the judge basically the crown basically shot back and was like how can you even say that there's an acceptable range when this has happened once yeah we don't have enough data to compile an acceptable range right and they they also noted that the maximum sentence for breaching a long-term supervision condition is 10 years, so two couldn't really be seen as excessive. No, not at all. Like, we're technically allowed to sentence you to 10 years, so just because <laughs> yeah. this other person got less than two years yeah. doesn't mean you should. Like, that doesn't not make at it all. the... Look at all the other people that got 10. Right, like, one example doesn't make it case law. Um, so yeah, they basically just shot him down on that one. And then they also argued that public protection is the main purpose for dangerous and long-term offender provisions and that treatment needs are an appropriate condition and a consideration in sentencing for a breach of a long-term offender order. So they basically said to him, like, you are not a regular offender, so we don't have to sentence you yeah. as such. like because, Based on regular guidelines. Right, and like, that's... Because we can that's make an was, exception with That's you. what he was arguing, is that he oh wasn't sentenced God. based on normal criminal proceedings, and they shot back and were like, well, we don't have to. That's what this order is for. Uh, and I agree with them. Yeah. <laughs> so... Sean in there also somewhere uh, argued that because he wasn't actually doing anything sexual in nature at the time that the breach occurred, that it shouldn't be treated as severely. Um, but the judge pointed out the fact that he was like literally in the middle of his modus operandi and got caught. Like, had you not been caught at this moment, like this is your pattern. It's not like you were. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, no, I get what you mean though, where you're like, this guy is just like such a weenie the way he's trying to argue his way out of this. It's insane. So he's like, but, but, right. But and you're needless like, to no. say, his appeal was denied February 19th, 2004. Um, he's literally like, here's an apple and here's an orange. Compare yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, so correction officers had kind of a hard time coming up with a new release plan for Sean because his jail term for this was coming to an end in November of 2004. And he was actually asked by the parole board for his own input as to how he could be managed out of jail. They were like, how do you think that, that what would help you? Well, that's a new tactic. Um, and documents show he suggested that he should stay away from places where children go, quote, such as Chuck E. Cheese restaurants. <laughs> oh, the amount of times my eyes have rolled in this episode. I is, can't help but laugh because it's like, so bad. Like, why is bad. that your example? It's so bad. Um, Sean also said that he would uh, also, quote, shower only in safe places. Lots of my offenses happened around showering and bathing of young boys. But, End quote. What? So he's like, I'll just shower by myself next time. Yeah. 
really gets me in a pickle when I offer to bathe someone. And like in my opinion, these examples are just the absolute bare minimum. He's just pulling shit out of his ass to try and show that he cares at all. He's like trying to show self-awareness. He's like, well, I've really noticed a pattern. So I'm going to try and change. Maybe I'll avoid Chuck E. Cheese. Maybe we'll go to Chuck E. Like, Cheese and joke? ask someone if they want to bathe with oh, me. Fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Please. Please avoid those. Yeah. So correction officers came up with their own plan on how to best manage Sean. They were like, close, but not quite. <laughs> so they come up with a workaround that could be accomplished by the judge's supervision order, which stated that, quote, Round-the-clock supervision is the only way to ensure this man does not offend. So at this point, instead of just yeah. instead of just labeling him a dangerous offender, which would give the Crown the ability to pose an indefinite sentence, yes. a team of handlers are hired and assigned so that Sean can be followed around at all times. So they hired him a security detail. Yeah, this literally costs $90,000 a year. Um, mm-hmm. So he's released. Wait, sorry, this was in BC? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. Yep. He's released on November 11th, 2004. And um, so part of his restrictions, this is going to get really repetitive, but I mean, this is this is what it is, included his pattern. staying away from children, living in a halfway house, taking his sex drive reducing medications every day, and having these handlers. His as, chemical castration, you mean? Yes, okay. his anti-androgen. Um, and having these handlers shadow him anytime he left the halfway house. Um, this would include if he leaves to go meet his parole officer, if he left to go do any odd jobs in the community, or even when he went out for lunch with a friend. Like, there was somebody within 25 meters of him at all times. Which, I mean, I don't disagree that that's wonderful if they're going to let people out, but that shouldn't cost 90000 a year to the people of the community. And, like, just keep him in jail. Well, yeah, that would be the easy solution, but I'm just Which saying. Which we also pay for, but would make me feel better. Yeah, I would feel better about paying for that overall. Right? Because I don't feel like I would be paying for it and still at risk. Yeah, I just, it's, this This <laughs> one's really shocking to me, and it's, like, actually shocking that it's he just got. disappointing. And that he just got let out again. Like, this isn't, it's not like it's this stopped yeah. in 2005. Like, this, he got let out last week. No, this is literally us saying, like, it's gonna happen, so watch out. Yeah, like, we're recording this. Uh, one week after his release. I might put this up before the other one. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah, this was recorded one week after Sean was released back into the community, which is about uh, a two-hour boat ride and, like, less than an hour drive away from where we are right this second. Oh, Yeah. Very accessible. Yep. So, don't come to the island, sir. You leave my pretty island alone. Most of the halfway houses in BC deemed Sean too risky of a prospect to even take. But officials with the Okanagan Halfway House Society in Kelowna ended up agreeing to take him. They did this on the condition that there be the supervision on him with the society's executive director being quoted saying, if you were to put him in the community unsupervised for half an hour, he would reoffend. Half an hour sounds generous. Mm-hmm. It really does. In its post-release decision, the National Parole Board observed that nothing had changed with regards to program participation for Sean while incarcerated and that he continued to refuse to sign a consent form that would allow him to begin National Sex Offender Maintenance Program in the community. They so you're right. He's blatantly refusing to be better. Oh, yeah. Or improve. Yep. Yep. 
Wow. Um, yeah, in January of 2005, he filed an appeal to remove the condition that he be forced to take medication. He argued that it violated his constitutional rights under Section 7 of the Charter, which is the right to life, liberty, and security of the person and the right not to be deprived thereof except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. Um, He also argued that the National Parole Board did not have the authority to force him to take medication. And Was it the Parole Board necessarily that decided that? It was. Because aren't Parole Board, like, are they not somehow, like, overseen by someone higher still so if there was a real miss like handling of justice it would be caught i think the national parole board would be technically overseen by the attorney general don't quote me on that though that's not a fact that's just my assumption um but it was imposed by the national parole board and the court dismissed the appeal on the grounds that they stated the parole board does have the authority to set required medication as a condition for release if it is for public safety, citing case law to back up its decision. And that provision one of the charter, which is commonly known as the reasonable limits clause, states that the rights and freedoms set out in the charter are, quote, subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be reason or demonstrated strably justified in a free and democratic society um basically all that means is that if if it's determined that like public safety and the law is gonna be affected in jeopardy or affected in any way like the crown has the ability to revoke those rights they're not absolute. Is yeah. technic is realistically all section one of the charter says is that like these uh, rights and freedoms are not absolute, and the crown has the ability to take them away. This is literally like the asterisks and like sales conditions being like 100%. we can change the price at any time. Yeah. the The biggest thing to note in that would be subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law. That's the the big okay. statement in that piece that allows them to revoke them if they see fit. It's their cover their ass move. Yeah, it's totally the fine print. That's, That's exactly what it yeah. is. It's the fine print. They argued that if Sean wishes to be free from incarceration in the interest of the law and public safety, that the sexual libido medication was required. So basically they said, you can go off the medication, but then you're going to be in jail. Yeah, you're breaching so, your conditions, so... Well, you get to choose. Yeah. You get to choose, essentially, do you want to be free and on meds, or do you want to not be on meds and be incarcerated? I also wonder, like, what the actual, like, monitoring of his medication is in the sense that he could pick up a prescription or be given it, but he doesn't have to take it. So it's like, are they doing drug tests here and there to ensure that the chemical is in his system? Like, I'm wondering how that's actually monitored in the community. I feel like... Probably you through the check halfway in house. daily. Yeah, like they right? see you take it. Potentially, like it's either administered at the halfway house and like they're making sure he's taking it, similar to when you take medication in jail. Yeah, I guess so. Um, or really yeah. any mental health facility, I Definitely guess. Definitely yeah. a good question. But yeah, I would imagine it's managed by the halfway house. Okay. So he appeals this dismissal to the higher court, who basically just agreed with the lower court and dismissed his appeal in early 2006. Okay. Sean was jailed in March of the same year for using a wireless device to go on the internet, which is prohibited as part of his conditions. He's jailed again, and this time he blamed his emotional instability on the medication that he was forced to take. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Somehow we're still only in 2006. Yeah, I, I, I thought I noticed that. Yeah. So this kind of happens multiple times in 2006. I think like literally five times where he's released and then within a couple months... Um, he breaches his conditions yeah, in some way. Like there's a few internet offenses cause he's not allowed to use the internet or store data or anything like that. Um, he's released and then he goes back. And then, so there was like one time in May of 2006, he's released to the halfway house in Kelowna again. And two, two days later suspended for violating, um, the internet conditions. So police told news outlets that, um, in these cases in 2006, no victims were involved in these crimes and that he was just jailed for violating the terms of his long-term supervision order. Which is fair. That is true. Like, he went on the internet, but it's like, what did he do on the internet? Right. So, like, my thing is, okay, maybe no victims were, like, directly impacted. But did he try to contact someone? Did he email them? Did he social media? Did he, or was he online looking at, like, child abuse material? Right, or, like, even child porn. Because that's child abuse. Yeah, child abuse material is what Katie calls child porn. No, that's the proper term for it now. Is it? Because... Good, because it's not porn. Yeah, because it's not porn. Porn means that both parties are active, willing, legal participants. Mm -hmm. And it is for, like, theatrical purposes, essentially. Yeah. And reproduction. Otherwise, it is child sexual abuse material. I love that. I'm going to start using that. Not that I discuss child porn often. I'm pretty sure the term actually is like properly changed, but I am going to check. It should be. If not, you're right. It should be. It's been long enough that I feel like we've been having these discussions. I don't even know how to Google that without flagging my computer. Yeah, let's just not for now. As I went to do that, I was like... (laughs) (laughs) We don't need those flags. So Sean continued to reside at Kelowna Halfway House in 2006, and at this point he's basically under 24-hour supervision. Um, Like I mentioned, the program of supervising Sean 24-7 cost $90,000 a year, and the manager of the Halfway House, Brian Lafan, spoke to the difficulty in supervising a high-risk sex offender of Sean's nature. He said, quote, every time Mr. Deacon leaves our facility, he's escorted. So everywhere he goes, one of my guys is with him. He also noted that Sean had cycled through five handlers in two years. Yeah, difficult. Okay, that should be another reason. If mm-hmm. he's too difficult for handlers to handle, lock him up. I genuinely do, do not understand how this guy has been released. That is shocking because I thought he just had one handler this whole time and no. he wasn't that difficult. And I was like, okay, this would be hard to argue out of. No, literally five guys in two years. Oh. <sighs> Yeah. At this time, this made Sean Canada's most heavily supervised sex offender as this program was the first of its kind in the country. We've never done this. We've never paid to monitor somebody 24-7 why to would ensure we? they don't. Right? Why? Why the fuck? Would like, was he a guinea pig? I would like to see why was this done? For lack of a better term, why the fuck? Did why? you pick the worst of the worst and just see like, let's see if we can find a new program? Yeah. Because if that's the case, then say that and own it government and just be like we tried something new and it didn't work we're sorry Mm -hmm. but then they'd have to own up taking responsibility for more kids getting hurt (laughs) yeah so bob ends who was the executive director of the okanagan halfway house society said of sean quote we had a requirement that the staff member could never be more than 25 feet from him and that the staff member was with him at all times we just felt that that was the best way we could demonstrate safety for our community so like the halfway house people are like this guy shouldn't be out 
Um, so we're going to jump forward a little bit. So the people that are around him 24-7... Don't think there's don't any reason think that he, he should, should be out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the people who probably know him best in that moment. Great. Great. Yeah, there's not many people Great. that advocate for him being out. I don't actually know how this is happening, but here we are. Um, we're going to jump ahead a bit because between 2006 and 2011, we just don't know very much. Um, we know that he did break his long-term supervision order a couple times. Like I know it was noted in 2009. It's the same thing that we've just been going through for however long now. He's the cycle the order. that he has. Yeah. He gets incarcerated for a couple months while it's investigated. He gets let back out. He does, you know, whatever. But can you at least, I hope that he at least gets one like moderately long stint in jail. I will yeah. get there, I guess, so, if at all. At some point in late 2011, early 2012, Sean is transferred to a halfway house in Vancouver. So the police issue a notice in January of 2012 that he would be living in Vancouver and would be under constant supervision by officials. According to court records, he was found in breach of his long-term supervision order once again in July of 2013 and sentenced to 33 months with time served. Another notice was issued by Vancouver police in 2015 when he was released from jail for yet again a breach of conditions. I imagine that was from the the 2013 offense. Um, So I did find a recent public Facebook post. The user's name is Amber and... She wrote it upon the news outlets releasing that Sean was going to be released back into the community. And I do want to read it just to give some more context as to like who this guy is from somebody who worked like directly in corrections at the time that he was living in Vancouver, which I think would have been around this time. I'm game. So this is what it says. This was posted like a week ago. So yeah, literally the day that it was announced he was getting let out. Oh God. When I was a caseworker at a Vancouver downtown Eastside detox, the Correctional Services of Canada office was directly across from mine. We shared a common waiting room. Sometimes Sean would sit and wait for his parole officer. These visits were constantly happening. He argued every condition loudly, burned through multiple parole officers because he was difficult to work with. He liked to dress in theme. Sometimes he would look like a handyman, a minister, a dog catcher, a university professor. The costumes weren't included in his parole conditions, so he could wear anything he wanted. So he could literally dress up, you know, to... But that alone draws attention so he could probably bypass other conditions because he's not starting conversations with people Mm -hmm. and it's like prompting a lot of interaction. Yeah. The building had upgraded the locks to something, quote, higher security. All staff now used key cards to enter their offices. My key card malfunctioned and I couldn't open my door. Sean just happened to be sitting there waiting for his parole officer. He then jumped up to help me. Before I could say anything, and within seconds of my new high security, uh, and within seconds, my new high security lock was unlocked. Sean opened my office door. I was in shock and asked Sean where he learned how to do that, and he said, quote, prison. Yeah. As staff members' grandson went missing in the building, they found the little boy with Sean Deacon in his bedroom. It was insane that Sean took a staff member's child into his bedroom in a Correctional Services of Canada building while on parole. Then she goes on to write, I am concerned. I saw too much to stay quiet. 
He always presented a significant risk because he argued conditions constantly had a strong authoritative energy and wore costumes that created trust. Mm -hmm. The police are warning the public, but they make no reference to his dress-up habits. It's been 10 years since I left that field of work. I was a detox caseworker in a building that took high-risk parolees because the location met specific parole conditions, such as not being near where children congregate. I was sworn to public safety in my previous position to report anything that would jeopardize the safety of a minor, and I hope this disclosure keeps children safe. Oops, sorry, that was my Apple news. So that's that is ridiculous. Fucking terrifying. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of comments because this is a public post and it ended up going like quote unquote viral, if you will, in Canadian DC. viral, Canadian version of viral and okay. has 300 likes. Whoa. <laughs> um, and somebody commented, I remember they had to change some locks as he got a, a hold of a set of keys somehow. Somebody else replied, indeed, this did happen and they did have to change the locks. And somebody else commented, hi, Amber, you forgot his costumes as a painter and an office assistant running the photo- photocopier. Strange days indeed. Somebody commented, that's right. He had many disguises, learned so much from that place, to which the person responded, he's the master of deception. Jeez, that's scary. So that's just a note from the community who's actually worked with him directly. Um Jeez. Yeah, that's just, you know, that I think that gives a really good insight into how truly terrifying this guy is. Uh, yeah. That he... Like, first-hand account. Like, that he would take a staff member's child yeah. into his room, that he's breaking into locks, God. that, like, somebody wasn't able to get into their office, and he was just like... Well, why would it. you even do that in front of someone in that building anyway? Ballsy, because he's ballsy yeah, and yeah. doesn't care. The fine line. Yeah, so that's... Ballsy and idiotic. Terrifying. His latest crimes that had him back incarcerated occurred in 2018. According to the provincial court records, which I couldn't find detailed records. I think I would have had to request them, which I just didn't really have time. I really wanted to get this out as soon as possible because I feel like this is kind of urgent. Sean was found um, in breach of his long-term supervision order conditions. Once again, in July of 2018, he was found to be working at a business with another convicted child sex offender and was also in contact Mm -hmm. with another one, which is against his conditions. Yeah. When he was arrested in 2018, the police searched his work locker and found electronic devices, which he's not supposed to have. No. A folding knife. No. A black duty belt, similar to, like, the ones police wear. Sex Uh -uh. toys, including restraints. And, quote, a large quantity of cold flu and cough medicine, which, if provided to children, could make them sleepy or groggy. Gross. Groggy. I think I said groggy, but I've just truly lost the plot with this one because it's insane. Um, Sean had also accessed the internet several times and had images of children under 16, including some fully naked. Yeah. I wonder why people aren't, like, having their bags looked through if they were to go out and go shopping or do things on their own. I thought there would be a bit more of a screening process of what would be brought back into the facility. Well, these were found in his work locker. 
So maybe he's oh, not bringing so them back into working, the facility. Never mind. I missed that part. He's going out to work and stashing it also, in his locker. Also, that's disgusting to keep that at work. Yes, all in his work locker. Oh. Sean was found guilty of three counts of breaching long, the long-term supervision order and was sentenced for this to three years and 238 days or eight <sighs> months at Matsky Institution in Abbotsford, for which he has now served his full sentence. Oh, God. Um, so just a kind of little side note. Sean was charged under Section 810.1, Subsection 1 of the Criminal Code on February 10th, 2022, to prepare for his upcoming release. And Section 810 can be imposed by the Crown when information can be presented showing there is reasonable grounds to fear the person will commit a sexual offense in respect to persons under the age of 16. So this charge allows the court to impose even further conditions on him upon his release. Um, okay. So this proceeding took place on March 15th, and then he looks like he has a reappearance scheduled for April 11th, so I don't know what that's going to be for, but I'll let you know if I find out. So just to kind of close this one off, because we are basically at the end, Sean was released from Matsqui Institution into the community on March 18th, 2022, and he is described as now being 56 years old, 6 feet tall, 225 pounds, and has brown hair and brown eyes. His hair's kind of like graying, though. They just released an updated photo, because the photo that has been circling around the internet with him, like, clean-shaven and, like, short haircut is not what he looks like now. They just oh. released another updated photo yesterday, and he has this, like, big bushy beard and, like, long hair. Um, so I will post that for sure, and I'm going to post the side-by-side, -side too, just so that anybody who's seen, like, the original one can see the like now the photo. change, so they're not thinking, oh, I'm watching for that guy. I'm going to make that side-by-side, yeah. -side, like, the cover art <laughs> for this episode. Um, Sean's also noted as having one-inch scars on his left palm and right bicep. Don't know why, it's just noted in there. Okay. His court-ordered conditions include a lifetime ban from attending public parks, swimming pools, school grounds, daycare centers, playgrounds, community centers, skating rinks, anywhere where kids under the age of 14 are present or are expected to be present. Sean also has a lifetime ban from working or volunteering in a capacity that involves being in a position of trust or authority towards anyone under 14 years old. Sean also currently has a ban on contact with kids under the age of 16. He is prohibited from possessing any electronics that can access the internet. Um, other conditions says he can't have any weapons, including knives, unless they're to prepare food. So, like, you, you can, can have a butter knife. You can butter your bagel, but that's about it. Oh, you need a bread knife to cut your baguette as well? Sure, but you give it back. Yeah, pretty much. He also can't have electronics that access the internet, store data, or connect to any computer network. And the Abbotsford Police Department says they will monitor Sean while he's in the community, but anyone who sees him breaching his conditions is asked to immediately call the police department in their area. Um, the number for Abbotsford is 604-859-5225 or 911 if it is an emergency situation. Of course. So that is Sean Joshua Deacon. Uh, That's disgusting. 
yeah, terrifying. Share with your friends. Share with anybody that you know that lives in the Lower Mainland and potentially has kids. If you have kids, discuss it with them. Show and him their photo. Stranger just, danger again. Stranger danger. Like older men shouldn't be trying to be your friend. And there's more and more ways for kids to be contacted, lured, interacted with nowadays. So I also think like having an active discussion about like stranger danger every six months or a year is a good thing just to do a pulse check because yeah. I don't think it's something that, you know, in the moment you talk to your kids about it, because I remember my mom talking to me about it, but six hours later, I'm playing with my friends. I'm not even thinking about yeah. that. So checking in and I don't know, maybe finding a way to like do an activity or something like that to raise awareness or have your children like look up information themselves about it on like yeah safety tips and stuff like that. Who knows? It's just whatever works for you and your family. But I think a consistent check-in is a good idea. Yeah, this one is like, there's no doubt in my mind that this man is going to reoffend sure. if given the chance. So it's just so important. It was really important to me to just tell the story and get the facts out there and like, also, can we potentially consider giving him danger offender status? Like, I don't know. I'm actually going to look up the what the provisions for being labeled a, sec, uh, a dangerous offender are. Like, it almost makes it sound like you have to have murdered someone. It says the designation dangerous offender is reserved, is reserved for Canada's most violent criminals and sexual predators. Like, he is literally Canada's number one sexual predator. How is he not a dangerous offender? Is there um, a change.org thing about this guy? I don't know. Probably not. Um, okay, section 753, subsection 1. The court shall find that offender to be a dangerous offender if it is satisfied that they have been convicted of a serious personal injury offense i feel like his constitute that maybe because his long-term supervision breaches don't constitute he's not doing anything violent when he does mm -hmm. those whereas if he was approaching a child and was actually a dangerous risk to society maybe like i think if he breached again and it was a sexual offense like a physical sexual assault, I think that he would end up being able to be labeled a dangerous offender. Did you see that literally one day ago? Oh, my voice. <laughs> one day ago that Abbotsford police did release the updated photos? Hmm. Okay. I don't yeah. know if you had said that they did that or if you were just going to, but that's good. No, no, no. I did see it. And that's why I was saying the photo looks nothing like the first one. No. So I'm going to release that photo so as like crazy. the cover art for this. But, like, when looking at it this way, like, he convicted acts in 1988, 1996, 1998, 2002, 2009, 2014, and 2018. Mm -hmm. That is disgusting. Stop it there. I think if he, and of course we don't want this to happen, but if he was caught doing something much more serious, I do believe that the court could find him a dangerous offender, which would give him why the ability we... to be incarcerated indefinitely. I just don't understand why we're being so defensive with these people when we've had the chance to be proactive I and don't get it either. offensive. So yeah, this one was so I don't crazy get to me, which is like why I felt the need to share. 
Yeah, this one mind boggles me that our justice system is still allowing this to happen. Because that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. We're letting this happen. Yep. We know how scary this person is. We know the damage he can do. We're allowing him to do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At this point, it's like we're just continuously releasing somebody who multiple professionals have all agreed that he will reoffend. It's not. Not one person has said like, oh, well, you never know. And, like, he doesn't want to be rehabilitated. No, he said, like, I don't actually want to participate. I'm not going to participate. So, yeah, that's terrifying. Um, This man is out in the community now, and I just want everybody to be safe. So that has been your public safety announcement from me. Have a good day. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. (gasps) Okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.